the Ukrainian hospitals, the med hospitals, uh, civilian hospitals of their equipment, which they needed for their own people, uh, because the amount of people coming in was just even exhausting for us. I would have normally 57 soldiers a day on a med call. Uh, and some of them were malingers, and some of them were go-brickers, just looking for an easy way out from PTF. Uh, you know, not having... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I'm still got a little bit of a respiratory infection, sorry. Um, but these guys would be looking for an easy way out. But this is... They came to join, you know, a military organisation. Even though it was a voluntary military organisation based on people giving their times to Ukrainian people. And how they wore their uniform was the thing of pride. You know, if you dressed down and you pulled your battle dress off and your top off and you exposed just your undershirt and you're walking around the streets of Ukraine, that is not how the Ukrainian people want to see their soldiers. But you would have no, a lot of them that didn't have any pride in that uniform, which was disturbing because a lot of us would have died and bled for that in that uniform. Glad for the Ukrainian people. It even makes me shake to the point that, you know, I get that aggravated because you hire, you get all these, and none of us got a paycheck. You know, we didn't come there with cause turning around and say, oh, we have to. And I said, no, donate the money to charity. Every single soldier that I knew from my battalion that were given credit cards to say, well, we're going to put your pay onto this. So the Ukrainian people shouldn't have to pay volunteer soldiers to come and fight their war and to actually dedicate ourselves to the Ukrainian people. But it, it, there was a lot of reasons why a lot of other people came there, you know, and we sussed them out fairly quickly to the point that we showed them the door and don't let it hit in your ass on the way out, please. And that we had druggies. Uh, even when the first base got hit, I lost all my kit. Uh, only thing that survived was what was on my back and what I was wearing. And that I lost my issue of my cold weather gear, my duffel that was issued by them that came from the UK. Uh, I lost my own kit, my own duffel, uh, you know, my own rucksack with all my own personal gear. They stole me even the dirty underwear and dirty clothes. And that's how ridiculous people, thermal units, uh, you name it. Uh, because we deserted our barracks and they thought there was a lot of, unexploded ordnance still in there from the cruise missiles or other things that may have been laden down from cluster. But the whole thing was what I had was a differing opinion at times and just shaking my head and said, it, it doesn't have to be done this way. And that, but they then wanted us to do parade drill and lots and lots of physical training, going back into the regular army. And you lost guys. They went and terrified you know, some companies were losing out of 30 people, 75% of the troops just from one company. And that you've got over 300 in a battalion that they set up. And each uh, barracks was full with about 90 guys. Um, so when we were split them up into their companies, uh, you know, when after that first big missile strike, you know, you're getting 75 at a time. Hunkered down out in the bush uh, in the forest, uh, digging their body hole trenches and trying to get themselves to a point where they can um, survive and like eating MRE uh, which didn't last long and we weren't allowed to have fires 
and the warmth and we're having people getting respiratory infections and we're going through our antibiotics like it's going out of fashion and anything we did have that did survive and the armories didn't get hit you know were ransacked to get everyone armed up the mgs and get the ak-74s into action and get everyone with uh you know enough enough ammo because we had a stage where we had three spectre units at our main gate ready to come in to finish us off uh every it wasn't panic stricken it you just had people digging in hard really really quickly really really fast because they sent in a mop-up team to actually finish off the rest that was left over and we were going to, they all lined us all up and they said, who's going to stand? Who's going to fight? Who's going to leave? Tell us now. You go over here. The ones who want to fight and stand, go over here. And I just dropped all my kit, everything else I still had on me, as well as a ton of all the other boys and girls. And that gives a weapon. Let's go. Let's do it. And that, because I'm not going to go dying on my knees. I'm going to go dying on my feet. And that was the general consensus of the ones that came there with the extreme purpose to make a difference. Because to me, I've been in enough wars. I've been in enough casualties and I've seen enough people buy it because they had the intent with giving it their all. But you got to love these guys and that every single one of them is in my book a hero and that because they're going with the right intentions. And uh, even as a former NCO, uh, that <laughs> I couldn't have bottled these guys' blood because it was the most precious thing I could ever seen. Uh, the sacrifice, they would have actually helped each other up off the ground. They covered. I had one of my doctors, the one that hasn't come back, unfortunately, one of our medics ladies body over my, my other doctor uh, that to protect him with his body. You can't, you know, say anything more than that. What sort of heroes the guys are doing? They're dragging guys out of harm's way that are wounded and, sacri- and almost sacrificing their lives to get them out of harm's way. And every day, a lot of them, it's like the young guy the way back at the start of the war that blew himself up on the bridge to stop the Russians from getting over that bridge. And he was reclaimed such a hero for doing it because he sacrificed his life to make a difference. Sorry to bend your ear, guys. <laughs> uh, no, it's no problem. I'm seeing, I get like that myself. And, you know, so before, because Chris is out of the range and we love Chris. But yeah, you know, um, what he, what this man is spitting is pure truth because, you know, I remember when I got in the regiment and everything. And my, my sergeant, after a nice smoking, which happens, said, well, you know, you're in regiment now. Uh, I bet you think you accomplished something. You didn't accomplish shit because every day here is selections as well. Too right. Too right. I was regiment for 20 years um, and I loved it uh, dearly uh, out of a nine-man team for a spec ops team. For I was former SAS uh, and I enjoyed every moment of my life. I could do it again. I'd sign back on that dotted line. It's the same as when we we leave, we terminate our contract uh, with the Legion and we just reinstigate our contract on our return because we can't do it as long. The rotation times, I've, I'm hearing from a lot of my guys and some of them are just worn down 
mentally and physically uh, of constant contact with the, the Russians, bombardments, artillery, um, and mentally some of them are breaking. The strain is showing uh, the food shortages, uh, you know, they're eating, they're fighting on an empty stomach. Uh, the energy flow is not there, you know. You, i got to love the Ukrainian doctors. They're fantastic. But they're, they're dealing with so much lack of equipment. And, you know, when they don't have the antibiotics to cure a basic chest infection of the respiratory, and if a person can't breathe, they can't fight. If they don't have the energy flow and they just want to crawl up in a ball in, in the corner somewhere and they're suffering, suffering also with PTSD. I heard just only three days ago one of our guys put his weapon in his mouth on full auto and um, killed himself. Uh, so the yeah. same showing on the boys and um they some of them sort of saw the warning signs but a lot of them weren't seeing it immediately and when we see someone who's going towards the rubber gun squad uh we we take their weapons off they're put under guard they're put under control and we get them the help they need but some of them conceal it so well that it's um it is heartbreaking because um they didn't go there originally to take their life uh but they've seen what the russians are doing and the barbaricness and wagner is doing as a mercenary organization we're the power of the mercenaries uh we are not prws and we're not going to be treated as prws and my brothers and sisters that go mia are be treating with such abuse and such hostility um even some of my guys from my unit, we tattooed ourselves with the Ukrainian uh, Legion emblem, and they're cutting my guys' uh, you know, tats off and trying to yeah. chase them. I, I definitely get you. I want to pass it over to Chris oh, next, yeah. but before I do that real quick, you know, I just want to say, and you know, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about uh, when I say this. Hey, my brother, hard times pass, hard men don't. And with that, over to Chris. I hear you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, I did not want to get in the way of uh, that wonderful conversation. So thank you for sharing that. Um, as a civilian who's been here first uh, January through February 24th, um, and then arriving back uh, around March 16th, I remember when we got back, um, I was in um, Istanbul. And while waiting in line for the uh, plane switch, there were two Americans I remember very explicitly <clears throat> talking about going to fight and um, in asking, like, well, you know, what are the arrangements you made beforehand? Uh, oh, well, I talked to the embassy, you know, and, <laughs> and I already know where I'm going. And, you know, the person I was with who uh, some of you will know who that is, I'll leave that part out. Uh, already knew sort of how the system was supposed to be and said, well, did you talk to anyone in the Ukrainian uh, Ministry of Defense? No, 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 but it's all taken care of. And the punctuation of that sentence was ended with the lady at the Jetway kiosk saying, sorry, your flight isn't right now. It's up in, it's up in two days. Uh, so the guy who had it all figured out was not even in the uh, jetway at the appropriate time, you know, <laughs> uh, 
that was a that was a leader into what would be seen once arriving in uh, Warsaw, sitting at a lunch uh, on the seventeenth of March. Uh, another person comes up. Oh, well, you're Americans. Oh, yes. Well, I'm going into Ukraine to help. You know, okay, well, how are you doing it? You know, or what's your plan? Well, in this case, it was uh, kind of a church growing person, uh, which is fine. You know, there are different organizations trying to do their part. No, no ambitions towards the Legion, all that. That was good. Uh, didn't have to listen to the Call of Duty uh, scenarios <laughs> going down. Then um, was the arrival in uh, Medivka to get across the, through the camps. I saw some people looming around, you know, that seemed kind of aimless about where they were intending to go. No specific plan of, of a destination. And then ultimately in Lviv, once I was involved in getting myself my media pass and hanging around the media center, to compare it to most Eisley in Star Wars would be an understatement. Uh, there were two Germans off to the side drinking so much and being obnoxious that the waitress there in the media center at Pravda um, uh, was she had to come over and tell them to tone it down and basically, uh, you know, pile it up or leave. There were also, uh, remember some, uh, some Dutch or Afrikaners that were sitting there. I, that, that accent is very distinct in my ear. <laughs> uh, so same thing, sort of like, you know, the Rambo mentality going on and, um, uh, a couple other young men that were talking about how they couldn't wait to go out and fight and, and uh, are you are you a veteran? I said no, no, no. I'm you know I, I always hold my camera up. I'm a photographer. You know I didn't say, hi, I'm Chris Sampson, professional counterterrorism guy. <laughs> you know I'm, I'm a photographer, or I'm you know I'm taking notes. I'm learning as I go along. And um, from a uh, counterintelligence point of view, I mean it was so easy to get their personal legend under control within just kind of like grooming a little bit, or even offering a beer. You know, and they didn't catch that I tend to be a kind of a one-way info trap. Information's coming in, very little information's going out by nature. Um, but as I, you know, sat down and talked to a few people, knowing that I had no specific responsibility to the Legion, I did have a moral responsibility to Ukraine. That's why I'm here. Um I would just ask them, like, what you were doing. What are, you know? What's your objective? Are you going to go fight? Are you a combat bat? You know, oh, no, no, no. Or yes, 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 I am. And it didn't take long to go through and find the bullshitters from some potential real deal opportunities for help. And what I did was, as I ran into people who had specific skill sets, um, I would say, look, you know, from, from what I gather, and I would say I didn't know things, which I did, um, if you don't have a combat record, you know, don't even bother. Just find if you if you are seriously trying to find a way to be useful. Um, you know, oh, what do you do exactly? One guy was a really nice guy who was a welder. And I said, okay, I'm sure somewhere around here is that. So my recommendation would be to do the following, and I uh, gave him some options of you know how to kind of make some contacts to be useful. Um, one of the things I wasn't telling them, but I, I was in my mind about it, was that I, I was aware of what I call the Ukrainian neural network. And the Ukrainian neural network is basically the Ukrainians I know who already know what needs to be done and where it needs to go. And they already have endless amounts of friends uh, that are communicating all day long uh, on Viber or WhatsApp or something you know, about their needs. So you sort of have to get into that info stream to know where to be useful. 
And I would not let any of these Americans come in and get into that stream unless I could personally kind of go through and see, I think this guy's got a pretty good compass. And over two days or so of being around the guy, uh, if I could see that he wasn't, um, if his personal character was you know, seemingly you know sound and he had a, a real base uh, character of, you know, a... Um, baseline of truth that I could read in them, like, you know, where are you from? What do you do? What's your background? And then I wouldn't even introduce them to my Ukrainian friends who already did have needs, who could tell him flat out, yes, I, you know, we can use you to come over here and do the following. In some cases, it might be, uh, you know, uh, finding vehicles to transport things, uh, just doing, you know, cross-country runs of, of supplies and just being useful. And to me, the ones that were most impressive, who actually I do know because I stay in contact with them, who wound up being useful, were the ones who had no problem. The egos were all checked, and they were willing to do whatever it took. If they had to run dog food or kennels, they would do that. Uh, if they had to basically just kind of uh, help people get back and forth across the border from you know Warsaw into Ukraine with uh, gear, they would do that. And they didn't have this this need for God's gun, God's guns and glory. Uh, and some sort of uh, big legacy. Um, so one thing I want to bring up is that I don't know if uh, my wonderful Aussie friend here uh, being out there ever ran into the person known as the Nightcrawler. Do you know who I'm referring to? Uh, you mean Los Angeles? I know who you're talking about. Yeah, so uh, so for those who don't know, it's a very bizarre figure here that uh, was around some of the battles north of Kiev that got nicknamed the Nightcrawler, and the person is tattooed across the entire face, like, is a blue mm-hmm. person. <laughs> and I didn't believe So he's just smart? Yeah, he's just smart. He, looks, he literally looks like one of the figures out of, like, Guardians of the Galaxy or, or, or just really, like, you have to see the photo. I'll see if I can find a photo and put it somewhere. But, uh, yeah, so strange stories of these kind of freaks have been, running around because I have Legion friends and uh, they'll tell me about that guy or, you know, I have um, uh, a team around me that's tracking bad apples. So there's one guy who's a uh, supposed French sniper who was completely, I don't know if you guys know this story, the French Foreign Legion flat out came out and said, yes, that guy was in training for 138 days and was kicked out and is not a member of the, foreign, uh, of the uh, French Foreign Legion. You know, secondary boot, you know, and uh, yet this guy is running around taking videos of uh, Ukrainian women he's had sex with and then sharing it with his buddies. Uh, there is a, a guy who claims to be a Viking who's coming in to the country who's got rape fetish uh, history and has been trying to compromise a Ukrainian women. So the good news is that there are efforts to purge these bad apples. And most of those efforts actually start at the Legion level or at the Ukrainian defense level. Once they get sussed out of what they're up to, what they're like, and, you know, standing there trying to do some sort of weird Tai Chi at two o'clock in the morning when artillery is flying. Yeah. They don't last very long. And as some of you, uh, so, I, you know, I, I don't know how many of you uh, are paying attention to the battles. It takes just that first round of artillery shelling from what my friends have very explicitly called. It's it's the run moment, you know, and the first is the run in their pants. And then the second is the run of their legs when they basically bolt and they don't come back. Well, we had a bad situation where we um, they had 97 special forces members, allegedly special forces members, lay down their weapons in a contact uh, firefight. And... Um, about turn and run from a fight. 
and uh, there was a few incidences of that where Mike check. Yep, we're here. He we may have lost him for a second. He'll pop back up. I'm back. There he is. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the uh, they stopped and turned around and said, "We don't want anything but combat veterans." Even coming over the border, we had uh, a two point five million dollars of equipment, two surgeons, and as easy. On scene, you are breaking up. No combat environment whatsoever they'd been in. They got to the Ukrainian border and they were turned around by border control because the Ukrainians had actually set the higher standard, which was you had to have combat experience. Now, it's hard to get a lot of doctors. and. On scene, you're kind of breaking up, a little broken and unreadable there. Okay. Um, uh, it cut, it's cutting in and out and going back and forth between mic on and mic off. Um, no, they, they had instances where they had lots of times where we couldn't get people across the borders because they'd had no combat experience. Um, and it's hard when you got cut out again by the last sounds of it, uh, where you couldn't get them across the border unless we got special clearances. So we started working with a lot of the the Legion command to try and get bring in personnel that we needed on the ground uh, we brought in some EMT, but were former military, and this would be their first combat experience. And when we're, we're when we're vouching for them, as my other colleague being the director of me- the medical battalion, and me being the deputy director, we would vet our own people and make sure they would actually pass any scrutiny that would be put on them. But it, was, it came a harsh time where also some of our, even my other colleague was accused of being a Russian spy. Um, he's an American. He served proudly in the U.S. Marine Corps as a captain. And he being put under house arrest or barracks arrest uh, was traumatizing for me to see someone who had been the biggest contributor uh, towards the um, our battalion, bringing as much equipment in. And watching, uh, you know, him being accused and have to be interrogated the next morning by counterintelligence and questioned in length, why has he got all this uh, money? Uh, why, why has he been spending it towards the court? Because he could be sitting stateside, but he chose not to. He closed half his practice down and went the other side of the world to fight for a cause because in his mind, when he saw it, and he mentioned this in our many conversations over... Uh, a cup of char or brew whenever he had the chance or a cigarette at the front of the By the way, if you have ear pods you're using, so one of the things I have happen with me is that the ear pods need to be resynced a little bit. If you may uh, turn them on back off and then restart spaces. Copy that. It might be also I'm getting alerts. Car keeps getting um, rocketed at the moment. So my, um, my alert system for the air rates keeps on cutting me off. Yeah, understood. But... You know, the one thing I never understand, or I understand it, but it's it's like if you're an American service member, right? It, there's a little block on your DD-214, and it lifts down to the year, month, and day, everywhere you've been, how many days you have in a foreign service tour, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No exceptions to it. It's pretty easy to say, you know, like... Oh, okay. Um, you're coming into Ukraine. Um, we we've got some Americans here. Uh, hey, American. Um, 
how do we figure this out? Uh, ask him for his DD-214 member four copy. And make sure that the uh, bottom right-hand corner where it says member copy four is in kind of a pinkish-red color. If it's not, it's fake. Yeah, yeah copy that, Dutton. Um, we uh, we see a lot of different things that are happening there. And, and, and most of the uh, comments I keep on getting from guys is basically... Uh, we suss them out on the ground. They start saying things that they know how the Marine Corps work. But you're bullshitting someone who actually lives that life, okay? Uh, you know, you can't learn everything on the telly or everything on the computer and think you're going to con these people. You're not. Well, they're um, reading books. I notice that a lot. People think they're well-read, so they think they know how things work. Well, it's like one guy turned around and said, you know, the color of the boat shed in Hereford. And I said, Really? What color is it, mate? There's no, there's no boat shed in Hereford. Hereford's actually the SAS headquarters for the British SAS. Wasn't okay. that a running joke they did on a film at one point? Ronan, um, that yes, it was. Uh, you know, it's a running joke, and it still is a running joke. There are certain ways you will know one of the ones uh, from the regiment, and that, and there's, there's certain things we will ask them. And it's about the kill room and the things on in the kill or the shoot room. And that when you go in there, um, because we name the doors. And if you don't know what the first door is named after one of the regimental members who lost his life, uh, you know, you don't know much. And, you know, and even the Australian regiment, we know our British counterparts quite well, even down to the New Zealand boys. And it, it is a small community, all from the Delta guys to the guys in the Navy SEALs. You know, we surf a very, very small pool. And that, and you can actually pass people's information. That's why they have a thing now for the Navy SEALs called SEAL Check. So you can check a SEAL if someone says they're a SEAL. And they had to actually put that up because so many people coming out, oh, yeah, I was Navy SEAL. I went through bug class. I did this. I was seer, and you know, and I said, really, really, mate. So you would know this guy, you know? Oh no, I don't know that commander. And I said, oh, I always no. used to give him fake names and wait for him to go. Oh yeah, I know that person. Yeah, yeah that tends to draw them out. But the thing is, it, it pisses me right off because uh, people have died and bled for that uniform, that emblem they wear. You know, when I went through selection, it wasn't a walk in the park. It's a 95% attrition rate. You know, we lose people. You know, only 5% make it through in that attrition rate. You know, because they don't count. And the physical demands placed upon us are there for a reason. And they brutalize you. They torture you. Because you have to be able to hold up against the worst conditions possible. Because you're being thrown in some of the worst conditions possible anywhere in the world. And yeah, like, like, like Tribe says, hard times pass, hard men don't. <laughs> who are, yeah, you know, um, I love the young guy that I was actually over there that put his body over. Uh, my other colleague, I can I can release his first first name because it's not breaching him and putting him vulnerable. But Doc Ben, um, he's my be bestest mate. I've only known him for two months, but I I would lay my life down in front of protecting him in an instant. We had, they had to separate us every time because um, when we took air raids and the missiles were coming in from the Black Sea uh, or even the drones were coming in or the MiGs were coming in strafing our area, uh, we couldn't have all the doctors in the same trenches together. 
it just make it easier target. One of us had to survive, as well as the other medics had to be separated all out in different divisions. So we we had people to render care. Um, you know, radio comms were always a hard thing, trying to get scrambled radios to the guys. So they had some comms on the grounds there. So we knew. So they started using out beside the, the air raid sirens, which sometimes didn't ever go off, and the alert was never put out. And the guys almost died in their beds more times than they had hot dinners, uh, which was frustrating because you've got an early warning system and you, we should know within about five minutes early before we're going to get hit. And that's what happened in Europe. Apparently, the air raid system didn't go off. And the saddest thing was there was an in- intel leak that apparently the, uh, the Ukrainians knew four hours before the rocket attack, and they tried to get most of our commanders off the base and left all I my actually, soldiers. Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. And left all my soldiers to die in their barracks. And um, I end up hearing that later after they got us off to the next base. And I said, how can they do that? How can they just forget about we as foreign nationals that have come to fight in Ukraine? How can they just serve us up? that we're, we're going to all die. Uh, it was a hard pill to swallow, but we all stayed there. We continue, the, the rumours just filtered. Guys were starting to feel that basically they weren't loved enough to actually... But we didn't go to there to get loved. Uh, we went there to fight, know what we knew, do what we knew, and that trained the Ukrainian soldiers with equipment that we know how it functions. You know, stinger missiles, javelins, uh, MG, you know, fine, they may know how to use the AK-74s uh, and that, but when you start getting other foreign NATO weapons like the M16s, the AR-15s, the SLRs, FNHs, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, coming in 40... As long as they don't send you a scar. Say again? As long as they don't send you a scar. <laughs> never, never. I, I miss my Og Steyer, uh, you know, and... Uh, we we shifted from the uh, the SMGs and um, back in the day, the old days in the CZ-75s. And, um, you know, when you're training with RPG, uh, RPGs and RPK, PKMs, uh, belt-fed machine guns, and, you know, you're rocking and rolling, you know. We're training with a saw, uh, you know. It, it, it's a sweet thing when you go to Iraq and, you, you know, and all the different things is, uh, you know, and you're working PMC and you're buying a H&K, MP5, HK uh, for 200 bucks, where they're $21,000 states are. <laughs> yeah, or PDW. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, they, you know, you got to love the people that really respect why, why we came and what we were there to commit to a purpose and that and want to walk and march down Kiev at the end of the war. You know, one of my last lads, uh, my RSM, he turned around and he said, at the end of this, we're going to find the best pub we can find and raise a glass to the guys that never made it back. And uh, we all want to be there at the end. We know a lot of us are not going to get to the end. But it still doesn't persuade a lot of people still signing up to this day. They go to the embassy. They, they try and sign up through there. They're getting 50 or 60 phone calls a day. Uh you know, and they're handing them little email addresses, email us, and you'll come down to the foreign secretary and you'll meet them and you have an interview and this, this and this. I didn't do that. I got sick and tired of doing the 50 phone calls and the 50 emails. One of my sponsors paid a $571 plane ticket one way to get me to Warsaw. 
I spent 28 hours, uh, you know, sitting in Istanbul as a stopover, 28 hours. And I found the most amazing Ukrainian girl that couldn't speak one bit of English, but through technology, my translator on my phone, she made more sense to me than anything else. And once I told her I'd come to fight and that she was so proud of me, she, she said, we will sort things out. We will get you there. And that, but I didn't know where I was going. That is the big OPSEC issue because, you know, the collection centers cannot, their addresses, the contact numbers, everything else is vulnerable. And they say that once you get to Warsaw, you make yourself to the border control and the border control will then direct you from there. Even the border control weren't doing anything. And we had people walking aimlessly hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of combat vets running around, some of them with trolley bags, uh, that looking like tourists. And I'm saying, oh, my God, guys, you didn't kick yourself out. You know, some of them don't have plate systems. Some, some don't have cab helmets. Uh, they don't have any uniforms. They don't have anything. And some of them went in dark, uh, you know, and, and didn't want to look like military. But the first thing they're starting to ask them, at the border, and that uh, you got combat experience, and uh, that, and I fall into the bad habit. I'm sorry to anyone who's Ukrainian. Uh, I'm not trying to mock you by using the, uh, you know, the sort of semi-European voice, uh, but you just can't help on how they are so loving, and, and, and you know, uh, but when they say to you, "We want to see you sign the contract," uh, you know, thank you very much. You know, I appreciate you, and uh, and we we're appreciating them. We're so in love that the fact that they've made us so welcome. Uh, you know, I had ones pay for Ubers, pull me up in a room with a decent bed overnight until we could get down to uh, the train station, which actually had a bus that was travelling two and a half hours to the Polish border to get to Ukraine, get on the other side to get to an area called the beach. And I and I won't explain any further. There is a collection point at such a distance away from there. And uh, two soldiers saw me get off the bus, saw me with a ACU military backpack, US, uh, semi-uniform, and said, you soldier, we take you. We take you to collection points, and thank you very much for coming to fight. Uh, and I said, Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. But the collection point it ended up closing, and they ended up taking me to the bar- uh, the main uh, military base in Lviv. And it was still too late. So one of the lieutenant colonels from the army base there, and I can say he's in that first name, Nicholas, it turned around and said, it's too late to get you to the collection points. We will take you to my home, and you will stay in my daughter's room overnight. And I said, I don't want to put you out. Thank you very much. Uh, he was, they were upset on how our foreign nationals were coming there and walking aimlessly about. And I almost felt like that. I was sort of, where do I go? No one's telling me where to go. Um, and they said, he put me up overnight, loaded me up uh, in his car. Uh, he said, I'm not a very rich man. Uh, and I said, but I'll give you stuff. I will help you because I am very, very chuffed. I'm very thankful that you're doing this or i can put you on a bus and said i, I, um, I think the host is about to cut your knees off though okay. <laughs> yeah,
No, I, all I was going to say is I got to get ready to go to work. Uh, I'm going to be shutting down the space soon, but I want you to end it out uh, on scene because your testimony here has been, I mean, this is what spaces are for. This is the best space I've probably ever been in, just hearing uh, you know, your perspective. So thank you for all that. Could you take us out? Well, he could. I just want to make the joke he probably could take you all out. He's not as crippled as I am these days. He could take us out even with the, you know, all his injuries, for sure. But thank you for your service, because that's just, uh, I, I haven't heard any on-scene, literally on-scene testimony like that. It's my pleasure. I'm just speaking for some of my boys uh, that can't speak for themselves. At the moment, there is now a, um, a press uh, gag order now on all our Ukrainian uh, Foreign Legion soldiers. They can't have any contact with any media or press uh, unless it's signed off by the Ukrainian Legion. And um, sadly, you know, because it's breached stop a lot of times, guys have endangered other people's lives and got some of our soldiers killed. Uh, lose lips, sink ships, as the old saying goes. Yeah. And on that note, I think we'll end it. That was a marvelous space everybody had. We went from Ukraine. We had a lot of shit going on. Hey, real quick on scene, because I would be remiss if I didn't say this, but... Uh... Wherever things find you, good hunting. Copy that, mate. Thank you, my brother. Yep. And in recovery, uh, if you can speak to us, we'd love to have you back. Copy that. Uh, I've got to touch base with people, uh, you know. Uh, still got a bit of time to go. Uh, but the time I get to it, the 23rd, I know where I am. I'm always online because my nighttime is my daytime. And uh, I get to catch up with the guys in Ukraine as well as uh, some of my contact of friends that are in Iraq and Afghanistan. So, uh, that's my life at the present time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much. And uh, guys, girls, this has been an amazing space. Sl- until next time, Slava Ukraini. Good day, guys. <laughs>